Acts chapter 2, I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. If you're using a Red Pew Bible, that's on page 771. Let's read God's word together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Now they are staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our, in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. It's my privilege this morning to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, he's Mike Riley. Um, if you grew up in this church like I did, you know he's the son of uh, Jack and Louise Riley, who we supported for many years. Um, currently, he's serving in Thailand. Uh, he's working with uh, uh, trafficked kids and with uh, different um, uh, Muslim people groups out uh, throughout the Asia, Asia that, in that area. Um, he's here today. Uh, I think his wife, uh, Daniela, right? His wife, and Daniela, and his kids, they're back in uh, Thailand um, getting ready to start the new school year. Um, he has lots to share with us, and he's going to be bringing a message from God's Word today. If you have questions or just want to talk to him about his ministry in Thailand, please make sure you stay for the brunch afterwards, and you can get a one-to-one, face-to-face with him about, what it, about the work that's going on in Thailand. Welcome, Mike. Good morning. Am I on here? I... I'm about as technologically advanced as my five-year-old daughter. So uh, I am on. You can hear me? Okay, good. Um, it is great to be here, as uh, Scott said. My name is Mike Riley, and uh, I have to apologize right off the bat because, to be honest with you, you got the worst 25% of my family. My wife and two kids are probably getting off the plane soon in Bangkok. Is that to fly back, as, as Scott said, to get the kids to school? Um, and so I'm hanging around for another uh, week or so. Uh, so maybe next time you'll get the better-looking part of the family, and uh, I'll go to Thailand early. That's what everyone kind of wishes normally. Um, it is great to be here. As uh, Scott said, uh, my family has a long history with Westerlo. My parents were missionaries in Spain uh, for 12 years and in Argentina for three years, and uh, Westerlo used to support them. And so I've been coming here as long as I can remember. Now, I, uh, I almost said just, but it's actually been six months since I turned 
40. Um, so that's a long time that I've been coming here and been involved with you guys. It's, so it's great to be here. It's great to be back. Um, as Scott said, I, uh, my family, we live and work in, in Thailand. We've, uh, we started out not thinking Thailand was going to be our, our destination uh, back about, it may be almost 10 years ago. We shared here about a whole different plan that we thought God had for us. We were going to go to western China, and we were going to work with a people group called the Uyghurs. The Uyghurs are a Muslim group on the border with Afghanistan. And we were going to live there, and we were going to work there, and that was going to be our story, and that was what was going to happen. We pretty much decided, you know what, just bury us there, send our stuff in a coffin, and we were there for almost four years and got kicked out. That's not the missionary biography we had planned for ourselves. So we got kicked out of China. We had to figure out what to do next, where to go next, what do we do, uh, how do we, we kind of take this, this, what felt like a sinking ship, and um, get it sailing again. And we realized that we didn't really know what to do, honestly, truthfully. And so we had to just kind of step back, and uh, God eventually led us to Thailand uh, to work in two specific ministries. I'm not going to talk much about them this morning. I will be talking about them during uh, the brunch. We work with Muslims, um, all kinds of different Muslims there in uh, Thailand and in Iraq and down into Malaysia. Um, we also work with human trafficking. Now, I want to put out a little disclaimer here. I don't want to say anything that later on your five or six-year-old is like, Mom, what is that? You know, and you have to explain really awkward things uh, to them. But I do want to give you a little bit of an idea. We'll be talking about it during the brunch a little bit more. We work with trafficked victims from the sex trade, uh, mostly male teenagers. Um, so it's a, a dark work, one we never saw coming, one we never expected, and frankly, one I, in a sense, before leaving for Thailand, didn't have a burden for. So during the brunch, I'll explain a bit of how that's come about and some of the amazing things that God is doing. So here, here's the problem. Before I went to Thailand, before I even heard about the concept of human trafficking, I had one box in which I put everybody into that trade. Just thought of it as a uh, horrible thing, and it is a horrible thing, but I, I had in my box that I put everything, and I've realized throughout the years that I've put a lot of things into little boxes that I, Mike Riley, have built. Here's what I mean by putting something in a box. Sometimes we make assumptions about something, or in our trying to understand something, we create a little space in which that fits. And that space is governed by what we assume happens or what we hope happens or what we think will happen. For example, marriage. I met, uh, was it Nate and Jules, right? Where you, okay, engage all this stuff. It's great. Well, they seem to be far more intelligent than I was at their age, which is a good thing because if you're far less intelligent than I was, then it's, you're lost. You know, you're just hopeless. But, um, I, when I was about to get married, had a box that I put marriage in. This is what marriage is. This is what, the way marriage goes. My wife's going to move in, and she's going to be as happy about my retro NBA posters as I am. And she'll probably put her little 
doodads next to them, and we'll both live happily. And I didn't see it coming, but she apparently doesn't find much enjoyment in retro NBA posters. It shocked me. It shocked me because I just thought everyone did, and so she took them down. Well, that didn't fit. (laughs) That didn't fit. Thanks for clapping. My wife would enjoy that. Um, That didn't fit my box that I had put marriage into. I thought marriage meant that you keep your NBA posters up and that maybe you can put some embroidered thing next to them. But no, it's not. It also surprised me when I realized that my wife didn't want to watch the Discovery Channel 24 hours a day. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see it coming because for me, marriage, you know, this is what marriage is. You know, she's going to come in. I'm still watching my, my Discovery Channel, but I'll just have someone to watch it with me. Isn't that great? No, but it wasn't that at all. It wasn't that at all. But what had happened was I had built kind of my, my little box in which I thought marriage fit. And I was trying desperately to shove it in there. But that box was wrong. The box was incorrect. Sometimes we do that. Here's, I have this little bag of just a bunch of stuff from Central Asia uh, just to illustrate how foolish this would be. I'm going to put this right here. It's going to topple over. I'm going to spill. All right, there. Um, my wife and I, uh, we have to travel a lot, obviously, Justin, going back to Thailand with my two kids, Will and Susana. Uh, they had to fly from JFK to Beijing, Beijing to Bangkok, Bangkok to Chiang Mai. something like 30 hours. Um, and so we pack often. We're always packing um, boxes or suitcases or bags and stuff like that. And sometimes you have to pack something or you want to pack something into a box, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Or you want to put something into a bag, but it doesn't actually fit that bag. So just as a silly illustration, imagine if I had this bag right here, all right, just a little plastic bag, and I decided to myself that I am going to fit something in here the size of that organ. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this in. And I'm, like, shoving, you know, my foot down on it to try and get it to fit in. But what's happening? It's not really fitting. Or if I push harder, maybe it starts splitting on the bottom. Because what I'm trying to put into this bag or what I'm trying to put into this box is just too big for the box. So if I try and take the organ and I try and fit it in here, it's not going to work. It's going to rip that bag open. It's going to break the the walls of the box. It's going to destroy what I'm trying to fit it into. I think that happens to us a lot when we talk about God and when we see some of the things that, that God has done for us. So if you don't get anything from this morning, this is the one thing I really want you to walk away with. And I'll be relating back to this a lot during our our brunch um, this morning. Here's the one thing I want you to do. If you're just interested in getting past that Angry Birds level, pause now, hear this, and then you can get back to your Angry Birds. This is the important thing. You and I are guilty of trying to fit God into a box in which he does not fit. Let me repeat that. You and I are guilty of trying to fit God into a box in which he does not fit. So, we read from this passage earlier uh, earlier this morning, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and reread it. I'm using your pew Bible, so this is on page 771. 
Um, I'm going to reread the passage here because I want you to, I want to point out a, a couple things here, okay? There's a couple lines that, that really surprised me, that really shocked me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arab, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Here's what's amazing to me about this passage is that all these people who were here in this room with the disciples had built a box, right? They had built their box called their language box. This is what fits. This is what happens. If you were raised in Crete and you only know Cretan, you don't know Galilean unless you went to Galilee and you studied Galilean. Well, that makes perfect sense. I have that same kind of box. I was not raised in Thailand. I've only spent two and a half years there. Thai is a very difficult language. My kids know Thai better than I know Thai. They make fun of my Thai all the time. So if I'm sitting in a Thai church service and someone's talking about redemption or something like that, I don't know what's going on. I just sit there and nod because I'm the missionary and I'm supposed to look spiritual. And I sit there and I nod. And I, every once in a while I say amen. But I don't really know what's going on. Now you're thinking to yourself, why is this clown preaching? No, I, said, no, I know you're... Um, but here's why, because I have this box. I wasn't raised in Thailand. I studied and learned Mandarin, and I worked really hard at it, but the Thai people don't speak Mandarin. So when they speak Thai, I don't understand them, except for some very basic hello. I can count to 10. I can order food. That's obvious, right? You're like, yeah, we, uh, I can order food. You know, but I don't understand Thai. Now, if I was in a Thai church service, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, I understood everything the Thai pastor was preaching. It would break that box wide open. I would be sitting back and saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I understand what he's saying. Has he switched to English? No. Has he switched to Chinese? No. Has he switched to Spanish? That's my first language. That's the language I grew up with. No. Well, that doesn't make sense. So here's what happens. These people are here, and they're in this service, and they hear these Galileans all of a sudden speaking in Galilean, but they can understand everything that they're talking about because their box just got blown open by the Holy Spirit. But here's the interesting part. This isn't the first time this has happened. This has happened before, but it didn't happen to the people listening in the room. It happened to the people, the Galileans themselves, the disciples. They just had three years with Christ of absolute box-breaking time. From beginning to end, all the box they had created for the Messiah had been broken open 
absolutely ruined when they tried to fit the Messiah into that box. He broke it, and he was, it was done. Because think of it. For a long time, these disciples had grown up thinking that the Messiah was going to be what? That he was actually going to be a physical king who came, who sat on the throne, who took care of this problem of all these pesky Romans who are around and who are ruining our country, and he's going to drive them out. But then comes the real Messiah. And he says to them, well, that's a nice little box you've created, but I'm actually bigger than that box. And I'm not going to actually sit on a throne. And they sat back and they're like, well, wait a minute. We learned in Sunday school that you would. And he says, no, no, it's not the way it works. Not only that, he said, if the people offer me to be king, I'm going to say no to it. Not only that, I'm actually not going to take the Romans out of Judea. I'm not going to take the Romans out of Jerusalem. Not only that, I'm going to actually tell you that instead of hating your enemies, instead of being vengeful to your enemies, you should pray for your enemies. Now, these poor disciples are having their minds blown, right? Because they've been sitting back and thinking the opposite is going to happen. Now, here comes the Messiah, and he has totally ripped open the box that they thought the Messiah fit into. It gets worse for them. It gets worse because after a while, you know, just humanly, we have our box in which we put death. You know, when someone dies, they are dead. That's it. That's done. It's over. Or when there's a storm, you don't sail. That's another box. Or how about this one? If you have five loaves and three fish, that's not a lot of food. But what happens when the real Messiah comes and he says, this is the box you have. Let me show you something about death that's going to take your box and it's going to completely blow it open. Let me introduce you to a guy named Lazarus. I'm going to bring him back from the dead. And these disciples must have sat there and been like, what? What? You've got to be kidding me. This doesn't fit the box that we grew up with. Or when they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and there's a huge storm that comes by, and here's Jesus and he says, oh, it's a storm. Let me calm the storm for you. They did. They were like, who is this guy? Why? Because he didn't fit the box that they were trying to fit the Messiah into. Or when there's the loaves and the fish, 5,000 men to feed, not counting the women and the children, and someone comes up and is like, sorry, Jesus, this isn't enough. Send him to to the local 7-Eleven or the stewards, please, because there's not enough here. And Jesus is looking at him and says, stop trying to put me into this box, all right? Stop trying to put me into this box because I'm going to show you that this isn't, not even just enough, but there's going to be 12 baskets left over. And what did he do? He took this box and he blew it away. Now, they've had this for three years, the disciples. Three years. But something is about to happen to them in this upper room that's going to blow this box away to an even greater extent. Now, before we get to that, I want us to, to, to kind of pause here because I don't know about you guys, but I, I can be really harsh on some Bible characters. I, you know, when I read stories about Peter denying Christ three times, I don't know if this happens to you, uh, I can sit back and be like, oh, what was he thinking? Peter. Peter. 
You just spent three years with him. If I was there, I'd have been wearing my WWJD shirt. And I would have had a nice little bracelet, you know, with W. I would not have denied him. But I'm not sure that's actually really true. Or when people like Jonah, you know, like, well, you're supposed to go to Nineveh, Jonah. And he goes the opposite way. I sit back, I'm like, Jonah, what is wrong with you? And I'm really harsh on him. But let's be honest. Good old Mikey here has done far worse than that. So I can be really harsh on him. I don't want us to be harsh on the disciples here, and I'll show you why. Because even though we're talking about the boxes that they had built that they were trying to fit the Messiah into, we have our boxes that we have built, and the Bible actually points out some of them before we even see them. Here's some examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, I has not seen nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, that's a verse that we all know, we all love and all this stuff, but you know what it's saying? It's saying that you've tried to build a box of what you think God is going to give you. But your box is too small because you can't even imagine what is going to happen. I can imagine a lot of wonderful things, okay? I'm good at that. So when I start thinking about what are the things God has prepared for me since I love him, I sit back and I'm like, well, I think there's going to be streets of gold. Um, What else can I imagine? I imagine no pain. Uh, I imagine no tears, maybe. But he's telling me here, Mike, you're setting yourself up. Because I just told you that you cannot imagine the wonderful things that I have for you. Do you understand what that means? That means you can sit back and you can try your best to imagine. You can come up with whatever fanciful, wonderful, amazing thing in your mind that you think may be prepared. And God is saying, no, no, no. It's better than that. So then you sit back. You're like, okay, I'm going to try and imagine something even better. And you focus God's sitting back saying, no, no, it's going to blow away that box. Because what I have for you doesn't fit that little bag that you're trying to shove heaven into. It's far greater. It's far more amazing. And even if you had a bag the size of this room, it's going to blow that one away. So we do this all the time. Here's another example. Ephesians 3 says, Paul is teaching, he says, grace was given to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. The unfathomable riches of Christ. He's saying, you can't even fathom the riches Christ has. You can sit back and you can create your box and say, this is what God has. He has the cattle on a thousand hills. He has this. He has that. But guess what? You can't even really fathom what it is. So whatever highest number you get, that's nothing. Why? Because we build these little boxes. So let's not be too harsh on the disciples because, yeah, they build boxes, but we've done the same thing. Now let's go back to the disciples. Let's backtrack real here and we'll start wrapping things up and tying some some things together. This this passage I'm going to read is in John chapter 16. And this is going to lead us to the most, what I think is the most amazing part of this. This is John chapter 16 verses. Um, I'm going to read from verse 5 through verse 15. 
And I'm going to point out as we're going through two lines that really surprise me and confuse me. John says this, he's quoting Christ. Now I am going to him who sent me, not, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I go away. That's the first line. And I'll come back to that. It is for your good that I go away. That was in verse 7. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, and here's the second line, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Now, the two lines there that really confuse me, that really break open the box that I have built around this. That first one is when Christ told his disciples, well, it's to my advantage that I leave. Because I'm going to be honest with you here, okay? This is going to show you how human I am. If I was one of the disciples, and Christ said to me, hey, it's been three years, it's actually to your advantage that I leave. I'd have been like, um, I beg to differ. Because it's nice not having to watch the weather channel every morning because I know if a storm comes, good old Jesus here can just calm that thing, right? Or it's nice knowing that if I stub my toe, the guy who raises people from the dead is here with me. Or it's nice to know that if I get hungry on the road, the guy who took the five loaves and fish and did a miracle with it is here with me. I don't have to bring much cash, right? That's how my human mind starts thinking. That's how my human mind starts thinking. So when he says, it's to your advantage that I leave, I would have sat back as a disciple and said, wait a minute. For three years, you've been breaking these boxes that I've built around. You've been doing all these miracles, and now you say, hey, I'm going to actually do something really good for you, and I'm going to get out of here. I'd have been like, I don't know. No, 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 no. How about you do something even better and stay, right? That's the way I would have looked at it. If he's like, you know what, this is going to be really good for you. I'm going to leave you. I'd have been like, that's not going to be good for me. I'm going to cry like a little schoolgirl in a corner somewhere because I want my Jesus around. But he says this to the disciples, and the disciples probably took this, and they probably didn't know what was going on. But then he says something else that I don't think the disciples actually understood until that night in Acts chapter 2. When he said this, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Here's what he's telling the disciples. It is actually to your advantage that I go because when I go, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he is going to indwell you and this is God in you. 
This is a new concept for them. This is God in you. This is the God that calms storms, the God that, the God that created the earth. This is the God who, who multiplied the fish and the loaves in spirit in you. That is box-breaking stuff. So when Acts chapter 2 comes around, and they're up in this upper room, and all the disciples are sitting around, and all of a sudden they start seeing these little tongues of fire above each other's head. And they start noticing that all these people from Rome can understand what they're saying. And they start noticing that these Arabs can understand what they're saying. Peter must have looked at James, and James must have looked at John. John must have looked at Peter and said, oh, man, this is what he was talking about. This is box-breaking material. This is big. We couldn't fit this into a box. If we had tried to shove this into a box, it would have ripped the other side and come on out. Why? Because God and his ways are too big for the boxes we have created. Now, let me ask you this. How are you living? How am I living? Am I living like I follow a God that I can actually fit in a box that I created? If that's so, I'm technically trying to follow a God that is smaller than me. But I don't believe God is that way. I believe God is omnipotent. I believe God is omniscient. I believe God is omnipresent. He is bigger than any box I try and shove him into. I wonder what would happen in Thailand if I could finally grasp that and apply it into my life. I wonder what would happen in my family if they had a father who acted as if there's no box big enough for the God he follows. What would happen to my ministry with teenage male prostitutes if they looked at me and they said, he follows someone that he can't fit into a box. How are you trying to keep God in a box? If we sit back and we say, wow, I'm at work and in the cubicle next to me, there's someone who I know could use the gospel, but I'm not going to share with them because I'm just not that good at that. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not the kind of person who does that. God hasn't gifted me with that. I can't do it. What have we done? We've said, here, God, is the nice little box that I'm going to try and fit you into. That you don't have the power to let me be an influence in that person's life. Or what if you sit back and there's some family member of yours who for years and years and years has been astray and has not come around and you've said, I don't see any hope. You put God in a box. You said that the omnipotent, the omnipresent, the omniscient person cannot do anything about that one person that you love so much. And he's sitting back and he's saying, you don't know what I can do in their hearts. You don't know the miracle I can do in their life. When I sit back with some of these Muslims and I look at them, I'm saying to myself, <clears throat> sometimes I say, I don't see a way out. I don't see a way out. 
What did I do? I said, God is smaller than the Muslim faith. But he's not. He's actually much bigger than it. Much bigger than it. And if I try and shove him into that little Muslim faith box, he is just going to tear that box apart. Why? Because we follow a great God, an awesome God, not a small God. Dear Father, we love you so much. We understand that we consistently try and fit you into small boxes, but that you're greater than all of them. You're more powerful than all of them. You are more grandiose than anything we could do, anything we could imagine. Your riches are more than we can fathom. Your strength is more than we can fathom. Why do we continually try to put you in a box? Help us, dear Father, as we try to live as people who follow a God who doesn't fit in any box. Help us as we try to live in such a way that people see that we follow a God that doesn't fit in any box. And ultimately, Father, just wow us and surprise us with the wonderful things that you have set for us. We love you. We give you the honor and glory in your precious name. Amen.